This is the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. I'm Andrew Breskin, the Kosher Sommelier. Each show, we will discover some of the amazing stories and personalities in the world of wine. Wine tasting, wine making, fine dining, and one of my favorite subjects, the wine business. So pour yourself a glass and enjoy the conversation. All right, here we are, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. Me, Andrew Breskin, here with you today. Thank you so much for listening, and also thank you in advance for following, subscribing on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, etc., and whatever other platforms you are using. Keep doing it. We really appreciate the support, the downloads, the sharing. Please, if you enjoy it, tell someone who might also enjoy it about what we're doing. We're happy to have more Kosher Sommelier followers going out there. So thank you very much. So I had a mentor early, early on in the wine brokering, wine trading. And as we were hauling uh, hundreds of cases of wine up a staircase out of a driveway into a, a pallet that was going to be forklifted into a truck, after purchasing a very large wine collection, he said to me, see, people always think that the wine business is so glamorous. Look at us having all this fun now. And we were just dripping uh, dripping in sweat, and it was just crazy amounts of labor that went into that deal. And the joke became, it's so glamorous. Um, really, there's a lot of fun that we do have, traveling and tasting and wine dinners and whatnot, but when we're not doing that, you know, what do you think we're doing? And the answer is work. But that being said, like any business, the wine business is full of opportunities and it's full of ways to envision doing things better. And one thing that we do is business consultations and talk to uh, aspiring wine entrepreneurs, something that I used to do more from the legal point of view, but now also from the business and marketing point of view as well, kind of all-encompassing. So sat down with a friend of mine who is doing um, a new format of a, of a wine club compare, um, combined with marketing, and uh, we spent some time together exploring that process, and this was the second conversation that we had that um, we recorded, and it's going to be the first in the series kind of tracking the progress of this opportunity and some other opportunities that will come up along the way. So you can see a little bit behind the scenes of the more creative and uh, business-oriented size, um, sorry, creative and business-oriented aspects of the wine business. All right, so wine business. Love it. <laughs> love it or leave it <laughs> or not yeah as the case may vary most people love it but stay with it and are just miserable but <laughs> really are people miserable in the wine business you know not it, drinking enough wine I, guess. I know right but you know the uh the 10 crack commandments right i mean you can never you can't drink too much of your own wine <laughs> that's right that's true um i personally i get sick of my own wine sometimes really yeah I mean, you can get sick of anything. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, like I, I even get sick of looking at it sometimes. If wow. I have, if I have the same product in for too long, I'll just be like, I'm sorry, I don't want to look at you anymore. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll, you know. What do you shift to then? Do you have to drink a beer? 
Um, uh, well, business-wise, I will sell other wines. Oh, okay. And drinking-wise, I will drink other wines, or I will drink beer, or I will drink um, spirits, but usually beer. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's entirely possible to get... And that's why it's, I'm learning, like, you know, even if business doesn't support it, necessarily, yeah. like, you always have to change over your products and, and uh, keep it fresh, because it just... You know, it's like anything. Yeah. A relationship, a yeah. business, right. wine, like yeah. the same of anything is bad. <laughs> and you get stale. Um, right. And you have to do something about it. So, Are um, there kosher spirits? So most spirits, um, well, I shouldn't say that. The answer is yes. Okay. The, the expanded answer is much of what's available in scotch, bourbon, uh-huh. uh, rye, gin, vodka is kosher. Uh, most if not all cognacs. Technically, you mean? Like, just by, by definition, unless, okay. you, unless you do stuff to it to make it not kosher. Okay. That's a very general answer. And okay. Then cognac, since it's made from wine, uh, has to be made from kosher wine. Oh, so I see. cognac okay. is not going to be kosher. Right. Um, and so, yeah. No, but I mean, like, you know, you can go into most bars and get most, you know, the complicated thing is if you want to get um, any sort of modifiers, mm-hmm. those are generally going to be not kosher oh i see okay um, got it that many, makes sense yeah many bitters are not kosher um the reason i ask is because i'm seeing as we've discussed previously my my focus with my forthcoming wine business is very focused like on the artisanal folks yeah the craft folks and uh i've just been running into all of these craft spirits folks lately some of which are based here in san diego yeah, I think it's the next thing for San Diego. Yeah. There's like one in downtown. Yeah, there's a, a woman who is one of only two craft spirits makers in the country. And she's got a space in East Village. Um, the brand is called You and Yours. Yeah, drove by, saw it. Highly recommend stopping in there, sitting down and trying their stuff. Okay. Amazing. Wow. Really, really good. And they've got a small menu of like um, drinks that they've made up leveraging their products so they have right. two vodkas and two gins um, and I'm sure you know there probably is some seasonality to what they do but essentially yeah. you just it's a really beautiful space um, it's actually a good space to do events in too Interesting. and they've got their kind of operation in the back and you can do like a little tour and they've got a really nice long bar inside and you can sit down and try their stuff and they've done a really good job from not only uh not only is their product solid but just from a branding perspective they've done a really good job of kind of um creating something that i think is going to not only attract folks that are kind of like you know in the younger demographic i don't even want to say millennial i but think their branding is terrific yeah. and i you know when i when i drove by and i saw a distillery in mm-hmm. downtown yeah um i looked them up and i saw they had quite a significant following yeah yeah on on the facebooks yeah and the instagram the book of faces the book of faces yeah. and um it was kind of cool i think that um distilling is the next i mean it's not the next it's actually happening right for san diego yeah um which is funny because 
you know, what's one more industry in San Diego that requires <laughs> a ton of things that we don't have here? Right, right. Like water yeah. and grain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is just like, you know, let's just bring all these things from out of state and, and distill them to San Diego <laughs> right. of all places. Right. But whatever. Um, well, the infrastructure is here from all the beer stuff, so, you know. Yeah, I don't really know how it works with, like, spent grains and distilling, but I guess it's it's entirely possible, Yeah, I guess. I really don't know anything about that, but um, but it's happening, yeah. and there's totally a potential for mm-hmm. for those kinds of, um, you know, those kinds of collaborations to exist. Yep. Especially, I mean, with, with distilling, you have a shorter product turnaround time than you have with wine by right. a long shot. Yeah. Yep. I mean, how long does it take to make gin? Like a week? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Straight into the bottle and on the shelf. I mean, it, yeah. you don't have to wait for it to cool down. No. You know? <laughs> right. It's right. Like, That's true. It's, it's yep. like, it's amazing. And right. You can, if you have a good brand, you can just pump it out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, highly recommend. Very good stuff. I was pleasantly surprised. So is that kind of, are you looking for, so you're, you're trying to, we spoke about, you're trying to do... Um, bringing to market some of the less represented but most authentic wineries in the state and abroad as well. Uh, really, the 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 impetus or the the central nervous system of the idea came from just going and meeting a bunch of these artisanal winemakers, mainly up north in Sonoma. That's where I've spent the most of my time in regards yeah. to like tasting and just kind of exploring um and I, I over the past few years really just started to hear kind of the same pain points with all of these folks right so a couple of key things one you know these people just are incredibly passionate about what they do and right. they will just talk your ear off about the art and science of their product which is amazing right they're the best salespeople you ever meet in your life right? right when you go there and you meet with them and you walk the vineyard if they have one right and you're just there and you're just listening to them talk and right you're pulling your wallet up but yeah they're not, <laughs> even, they're not even offering anything they're saying oh we're sold out but i'm just want i'm just telling you about it and you're like you know you get to the point where you're banging on the table you're right like, give me a take, <laughs> right. take my money right right know? it just makes that tasting so much more uh, I don't know, effective, right? Because you, you've got this now, this picture painted in your head, right? And as you taste the wine, it's, it's a magical thing. But yeah. the flip side of that is that they have real pain points around exposure. Um, I would say 90% of them have been burned by distributors. They've just gotten no love. Yeah. Um, and they don't have like feet on the ground salespeople either, right? So their whole business is based on word of mouth and partnerships, right? So a lot of these guys are, and, and, and gals are kind of locking arms with other wineries in their respective uh, regions yeah. to try and drive business to each other, right? Which is cool. I, I, I'm all, They're building community around what they're doing, which is really exciting. But... Um, they're also all trying to figure out how to do direct-to-consumer well, right? So they're trying to cut out as many middlemen as possible and just get in front of the consumer in an effective way because ultimately their conversion goal is get them in the wine club, get them in the membership, right? And then, you know, it's all about just retaining them, which ultimately if the consumer likes the product, they're 
in for life unless they really screw something up, you know? Or they can't um, afford it at some point. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, I think people um, people will go to a winery. They will have that magical moment, which we can just summarize as a magical moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, eventually, I think maybe, you know, after several cycles, you know, that could wear out. And I, I think that, you know, there's definitely... You know, what I tell people about wholesale and about retail is that there's the first sale is relatively easy. Mm-hmm. It's like the third sale. Right. You know? Yeah. Because at that point, you have to really, and um, what's his name? The uh, business consulting guy for restaurants talking about this, John Taffer, uh-huh. the bar rescue. Yeah. His whole thing is getting to the fourth, you know, because right. once you're in the fourth, then, then you're like a regular and you're right. a lifer. Right. Um, so, how do you get there? You can't go back to that windy road Sonoma winery yeah. every year. Yeah, oh, of course. Every right. other year. Yeah. Um, unless they have some sort of like, a, you know, most of these places are not going to have the facilities to receive, you know, large parties on a regular basis, you know, right. have release parties. They're not doing that. Um, so I think that what the challenge that you're with your, with your background in digital media, how to help those guys recreate that experience. Right from afar yep and and stay in touch with people yeah and keep people keep people engaged and keep people connected to the brand i know that what we do which i haven't been super good at this past year but you know when we hit the road i like to do a little Mm write-up and tell people about what happened when we were away yeah capture Um, some good images and yeah video I, if you yeah can. try to do the imagery and and really set the stage for because most people i mean i usually go to bordeaux and some mm-hmm. other spots in france most people will never go to bordeaux right it's yeah. uh it's not cheap to uh yeah get to france it's not cheap but people US. listen people my customers travel yeah extensively yeah. right it's yeah it's just yeah, like yeah. you when you have your list of where you want to go yeah even if you love French wine, you're still not going to go. Right. You know, because you still have to go to Rome and Paris. Right. And you have to go to Madrid and Barcelona and yeah. London and Scotland and all these places. Right. You know, so I'll be the one to go to Bordeaux <laughs> and tell you about it. You know, right. Because exactly. I know you're not going to go. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. um, I think that, you know, I, I would imagine, based on what I hear from people, that, you know, when you, when you tell that story, it's like, and then people expect, like, Oh, he's going back. Well, let me see what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. How does a winery recreate that um, experience of if you were there, bringing you back there, and if you've never been there, mm-hmm. um, making you feel like you're still a part of it? Right, right. And and you hit it on the head. The, the I would say the other main pain point with these folks is the marketing piece. Right, they're not marketers. They're admittedly not savvy when it comes to where digital is at these days um most of them have a very very basic website some have some e-commerce elements some don't um so that's another big gap with those folks specifically and i I think you just hit it on the head is it's around you know really carrying through that brand story online and seducing folks, right? And it's twofold. It's getting people to learn about the brand on the front end, and then if you've gone up there and you've met the folks that work there and you've done the tasting thing, the tasting room thing, it's 
extending that beyond that first visit, right? And just kind of keeping people aware as to what's going on. And, you know, right now the harvest stuff is happening, right? So you can see some of the folks that do it well, they're documenting that process and doing what they can to make people feel like they're there or they understand like what their process is. Right. But not everybody takes the time or has the time to do that. So that's kind of another gap that I'm hoping to fill or at least support some of these folks on uh, with that stuff right so helping them with uh, capturing great imagery and uh, videos and then there's kind of the tactical stuff around just kind of getting that stuff out to the audience so you've moved away from the idea of actually handling physical product no um, I, I'm gonna try and do both in parallel I think um, you know, as we discussed last time we talked, I think there's a, an opportunity to start to work with some of these folks via the marketing piece and just get in there, help them out, build the relationship. And then, you know, maybe a phase two is like, hey, we can, we've got this platform to help um, be another sales channel for you, right? I mean, if you can crack that, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's genius. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll explain what I mean for I mean the benefit of yep. um, everybody listening, but basically, in a in a standard wholesale relationship. Um, by the way, as an aside, I used to do wholesale, mm -hmm. but I've basically stopped. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, if any of my wholesalers are listening, <laughs> not, it's, sorry, it's nothing personal. <laughs> but I'm saying like it's like this, and everyone's going to agree. Maybe not everybody, but I mean, it definitely works for a lot of brands. But this is how I see it, uh -huh. which is which is just my opinion. Um, like anything else, if I sell to you as a consumer, mm -hmm. that's one sale. Yeah. If I want the product to be on the shelf, mm -hmm. okay, first I got to sell to the wholesaler. Correct. The wholesaler has to sell to the retailer. Yeah. And the retailer has to sell to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's three times as many sales that yeah. take place. Right. Um, now, for a product that requires a little more explanation than Kettle One Vodka. Oh, right. Or, you know, Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. Yeah. Or, you know, the Blue Bottle Moscato, which I'm sure you've seen. Right. Yeah. You know, like, it. there's only a certain amount of, um, a certain amount of, education or yeah i yeah. mean like who's gonna who's gonna stand there in a store on a busy day right and explain like 15 different products from, right across four or five different distributors yep it's not happening um now am i sour grapes about wholesale i don't know i mean we had a good run but i'm <laughs> yeah. saying like for me if i had to spend 10 minutes on something uh -huh. it makes a lot more sense to invest in a customer who's going to be um a lifetime member mm -hmm. literally um, or just kind of, you know, beg a store to take a product that they have to then um, hope someone's going to buy. Right. Um, which works for a lot of brands. I just think that our flavor is different. So um, taking that back to what you're doing is that how that would translate into reality is you are going to basically say, I'm going to sell you a way for you for you winery to create a brand right and they're going to pay for it mm -hmm. and then after they've paid you to create their brand 
use in the market that you've created, you will then sell their product, mm -hmm. which will be a lot easier because you've already been paid to create the brand. Right, and, and it, you know, I don't know how many of these scenarios would be where we're actually creating the brand. I think a lot of these folks will already have brands and right. businesses that have been around for, you know, some period of time, right? Yeah. I think most of the support will be in building brand awareness right. and driving sales via digital marketing services, right? right? And then the platform that will be you know, an extension of that agency, we'll call it, and I'll do the quote fingers things, um, is really to help on the D to C side more than anything. Um, because I know exactly what you're talking. I went out and got my hands dirty and sold wine for a while for some of these folks and did the whole, you know, spoke to beverage managers and went to retail and that's a grind. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it has to happen. You have to have wine at restaurants. Yeah, totally. Um, just the question is, you know, whose time is better spent doing that, and whose time is better spent doing other things? Right. And in in a, a lot of the, a lot of what I ran into when I was doing that was, on the the other side of the fence, on the retail side, specifically with restaurants, everybody loved the wines that I brought to the table. But they were all locked into these distributor relationships where they were they were handcuffs, right? They they weren't able to work directly with a winery, right? They weren't able to cut a separate check to somebody. Right. But they all the feedback was very similar across the board, which was like, yeah, we would love to have unique things on the on the menu. I've been, you know, talking to the manager of the restaurant about it and it's just like, no, we've got this distributor relationship, we just have to pick from their portfolio and that's the you know the cards we've been dealt right yeah so i definitely don't want to go down that path again and when i was selling the wine i kind of had to shift my strategy and i started to go to places that you know were more farm to table and serving craft beer and that sort of thing and that right. kind of opened up the doors to, yeah that's good stuff yeah. except those guys you know They'll move like a case every yeah months. yeah yeah it's yeah. not vol it's not high right. volume yeah. right so again going back to you know really where I see my business adding value to these craft winemakers it's really helping them down the D to C path right and so essentially what I'll be doing is and I'm starting to have initial conversations with some of the people that I have existing relationships with is you know at some point having them set aside some volume of maybe one or two bottles. And on my side, doing um, what we can to sell through that volume of wine, almost in kind of like a flash sale type of way, right? Where I'm leveraging our digital marketing abilities to sell that wine through. And outside of their club or, or within? Yeah, outside of their club. So we're essentially the platform acts as, a, as another sales channel for them. Right, and so we're leveraging our digital marketing expertise to sell through that wine direct to consumer. Which the value to the winemaker is one, they're getting some brand awareness that they never would have gotten before. Two, they've got another sales channel they wouldn't have had before. And we're essentially trying to sell through some of the value uh, of joining, helping them, helping to drive conversions for them, right? Which ultimately yeah. is getting them.
to go up there at some point, sign up for their wine club, right? And for us, you know, we we get a kickback on everything that we sell. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because a lot of these, like, um, it, it really depends on how you sell it. Because a lot of these companies, like, let's say, you know, wine still sold out or, or mm-hmm. Cinderella wine, and, and those those types of, you know, where you get like a a wine from a certain winery maybe it's got the label maybe it doesn't have the label mm-hmm. um i'm just i'm just curious what how that plays into branding um how do you how do you make that website um more of like a stepping stone to an upsell and not like the appearance of sort of like a closeout um, blowing through inventory, you know, get it here because you can't, you know, before it runs out because this is going away forever. Type uh, of thing. I see what you're saying. You know, well, I, a, I lot kind of, of, a lot of wineries, like, one thing that wineries have a problem with is, um, you know, when they do sell wholesale, mm-hmm. um, because the winery can always sell to the consumer directly mm-hmm. at the lowest price that they choose to. Right. So sometimes a winery will sell wholesale. And then this is why I don't carry a lot of different wines because on my on my website because, you know, <clears throat> the winery directly can offer the same or better price than what I'm selling their product for them. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And right. so you know, in this situation, how do you how do you preserve the integrity of the winery's pricing model and the winery's brand by selling the same product at in theory would be a different price. Um, while not training people to not buy from the winery based on the possibility that they can get a similar product from a different company at a better price? Well, I think um, I think it's twofold. So one, the model is, and there are other people doing what we're going to be doing, um, but on a broader scale, right? So I liken it to, a good example is, um, you. I'm sure you've seen the Psalm movies or the documentaries yeah. right so there were a couple of folks from that that first one the first group who passed that you know the master test yeah. in that first movie <clears throat> that spun up e-commerce businesses afterwards right and they 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 follow a very similar model where these guys are going and they're traveling around the, around the world they're meeting with winemakers they're having these winemakers set aside some volume of their wine and then they basically the business is based on an email list and they send an email once a week or once a month that says here's the featured wine of the month we've got x volume of it here's the price here's the you know here's the very beautiful video of our visit to the winery and meeting with the winemaker right um and a nice kind of um you know kind of storytelling piece right it's basically like a nice landing page that kind of features the wine and the winemaker and it's get it while you can right and a couple of these guys built pretty decent businesses around that that particular model so what i'm trying to do is yeah along those lines certainly on a much smaller scale and more focused on this kind of craft artisanal space yeah and i i like that model a lot and we let's say we do the same thing we do something similar where we'll go to winery and we'll you know buy this barrel or whatever Mm -hmm. but 
we're not going to work with a winery that has its own club or its own, mm. mm-hmm. you know, because <clears throat> then we don't want to compete with the same the same customers. Yeah, got it. Um, so you know, when when I bring something from France or from you know, if we make a California wine, which we have a couple of those in production right now, um, there's not going to be a twin version of the same product that will be sold by that company I see to my customer. Right. Uh-huh. Because it, it just like if we're working together, let's work together. Mm-hmm. But let's not like be in a situation where um, you know, where we're competing. Because mm-hmm. it happens a lot. You know, mm. it's, it's I mean in our space it's a it's a pretty small community and um, people tend to fight over the same customers, but I mean that's kind of the point of my new platform is to not yeah. have all the same customers right. as everybody else yep. because I, I just I hate that right <laughs> right right yeah like, I think there's I I personally believe there's enough for everybody yeah um, but you know I could be I could be alone in that um, opinion but um, but that makes sense I mean you don't want to cannibalize your own you know yeah audience and it's it's hard I mean I think that um, there's definitely an opportunity to leverage the platform yeah. To create the awareness um, for a certain winery, mm-hmm. and then it's like a one and done. Yeah, you know, like here's a rush to buy this wine, taste it, you like it, you want to get any more, talk to them. We're done with this forever. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, because they'll never be, they'll never be like you know, if you find some like you know, around the corner, you know, Sonoma producer making Zinfandel is a hundred years old, like. You, you'd have to make a promise to yourself. I mean, again, my opinion. Yeah. To make a promise to yourself, a promise to that company. Like, yeah. you know, we'll do this one time. Uh-huh. And then after that, like, you know, and maybe you can say, like, you know, and we get a residual on those wine club orders. Sure. Yeah, exactly. For X amount right. of time. Yep, yep. You know, and that way you have an incentive to never offer it again. Yep. And they have an incentive to give you something interesting. Exactly. To attract that thing. Yep. Um, and then it could work. Yeah. But then you have to keep finding like one a month or one every quarter. You have to keep finding those kinds of wineries with those clubs right. that you can take a piece of the action after the fact. And Which that, is, I mean, that sounds really cool. It's a nice challenge to, to have, I think. Yeah. You know, and again, I think the idea will evolve over time. We'll learn a lot. You're right. Yeah. And, and the, what what the vision today might change pretty quickly, or yeah. it might evolve over time. It, you know. We'll see. But that sounds really, I mean, I kind of like the way I just said that. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. I mean, there are different attribution models that can be put into place where, you know, we bring new customers into their fold, right? right? We get attribute, you know, it's attributed back to us. And then there is some sort of uh, model or agreement put into place where, Great, you know, we've driven that new lead for you. That right. lead is converted. You've got a, uh, a brand new customer. Um, we'll help you with the strategy to retain that customer over time through the digital marketing stuff and provide you the tools to do that. And, uh, you know, we just get a kickback for... Uh, I think that's even, maybe even better than what we discussed in the beginning because mm-hmm. with this model, the winery doesn't have to, they don't have to pay you anything. I mean, like, you know, up front at least, in the sense that, you know, if you don't sell anything from this thing, from mm-hmm. this initial offering, then it's like, okay, well, whatever. 
mm-hmm. sorry, like either you know your product wasn't good or we couldn't put enough lipstick on a pig, and, right? And that's it, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, right. It's, yeah. a, it's an old lawyer joke, like you know, if you lose, it's because you have bad facts or a bad client, right? Like, it's never because yeah. of you, yeah. But um, in in this situation, and then if you get the residual, then it's like great, we had you know. 40 conversions mm-hmm. it's like okay well you know if you want to hire us for digital then we can see about getting you to you know whatever right and then it's on them yeah or it's the reverse right we're doing that that work to build the infrastructure for them on the front end right. and getting that engine running and then we tack on to that right so it, it'll be interesting again we'll we'll see how this thing evolves but yeah really it's very focused on helping to solve some of these kind of key pain points that these folks are having um, definitely not looking to go down that traditional wholesale route again. That's a that's a different grind. Yeah. It's, um, well, I like this a lot because you don't have to touch a single bottle. Right. Exactly. We're not holding an inventory. We're facilitating orders, passing that through back to the winemaker. They do the fulfillment, all that good stuff. Yeah. This is this is smelling much better. Yeah. It's more, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. We talk about exactly. It. Yeah. I mean, this know. is a nice storage space that we're in right now, but I don't want to have to deal with that. You know. No. Yeah. It's cool to look at, but mm-hmm. as far smells as smells great. Yeah. Fifty-five degrees. Love it. I know. It's pretty. <laughs> yeah. No, we had to step out of the cold for a few minutes. Exactly. But, yeah. Yep. No, I like it. I like it much better. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, yeah you know because it's like it's like a, a sales funnel exactly you want to exactly. go you want to go from here to there yep and um, provide a clear path for for mm-hmm. what the business is um, is able to envision in terms of their success and there's yep. clear parameters of what that's going to look like right um, which and ultimately comes down to some very fundamental things around building brand building community around that brand and then driving conversions which is all very kind of like digital marketing 101 type of stuff now the x factor is like how you tell that story online and doing that effectively through yeah pure creative yeah I mean, exactly whoever's going to be yep. the most creative is going to win exactly but in terms of in terms of digital and platform are you are you considering like reinventing the whole wine club software to make your own thing or would you no and, and i've had conversations with some potential partners i mean there are a number of platforms that are out of the box that are out there right with uh, you know the vine spring or yeah. shopify yeah. um you know there are iterations of wordpress that can be put into place right um and there's always going to be some level of kind of customization that has to be done there there isn't that's one of the kind of things in the wine space there isn't a really good out of the box thing that you can just kind of put a pretty kind of front end layer on it and then hit the ground running. Yeah, they all require a little tweaking. Yeah. Um, but I think that the challenge is um, when the business is dynamic, mm-hmm. the software can't be dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't keep reinvesting in software. Exactly. Every time the business plan changes like a tiny bit. Um, yeah. Which is what would have to happen. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, months ago, um, last spring when I was researching like a maniac all these different platforms <laughs> like yeah. I remember like we talked like I just it was really really hard yeah yeah to find yeah and even when you find one like it's still not a done deal yeah exactly um, especially if you're gonna be having you know tracking conversions and yeah I mean you're you're gonna need like yeah. a, some sort of a semi-proprietary way to do that right um, I'm sure you can leverage 
one of the existing platforms sure. to a degree. Right. Um, but there's going to be there's going to be some tweaking. And how much time do you have personally as a business owner to dedicate to staying on the pulse of where all that is headed and like being in the know around you know what the new plugin is to help you execute this piece of your online business more effectively and and I liken it to again my background has been very heavy in kind of the e-commerce space over the past five to ten years right and it's evolves every day there's something new right and um, you know with a platform like Shopify itself there are these like digitally native brands that start on Shopify and grow on Shopify. So like the guy, like I'm wearing this watch by this company called Movement. It's two guys that went to, I think they went to college at like UCSB, dropped out of college their senior year because they had this kind of light bulb idea around creating a high design watch at a lower price point that would be totally dedicated to going after the millennial crowd through right. Instagram and social yeah. media, right? Yeah. And these guys, they spun up a Shopify site. Um, it was almost kind of like a drop shipping model at first, and then it evolved to a true e-commerce company with real infrastructure. And they just got acquired by Movado like <laughs> a couple of months ago for a couple hundred million dollars, right? And this is like a five-year turnaround. Wow. And there are a lot of companies that have done that, right? Right. The tricky thing with the wine business and the spirits business is there isn't that kind of very easy out-of-the-box platform, right, that allows you to do all the feature and functionality you need and the automation behind the scenes, all of that stuff. And then you've got to do the marketing too, right? Yeah. I mean, wine is going to be um, naturally limited based on a couple reasons mm-hmm. um, first of all physical product yeah you can have x amount of something and you can right. have more than that yeah um and then there's all the compliance and legality issues exactly um i mean it is entirely possible to create a brand and you sell a brand the brand mm-hmm. is not tied to a geographic right um for example what was it that just sold um is marisolet or one of these one of these pinot noir brands was just sold off um for a lot of money mm-hmm. and they don't own like a single square inch of vineyard space uh yeah uh-huh. they have contracts yeah and they have a brand right and they have a flavor yeah and that was it yeah and then the, it's the buyer's problem to arrange for distribution and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and of course all the spirits brands that get sold in the beer oh yeah i mean yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like you know we're, we're across the street from Ballast <laughs> right who a guy in a garage, twenty-year turnaround from guy in the garage brewing his own beer yeah. to a billion-dollar check. Yeah, one point one billion. And I mean, he started. I mean, literally across the street. That was the first. Yeah, it's the homebrew market. Yeah, that we, yeah, exactly. That we right. right. Yeah. And um, but so yeah, I mean, it's it's entirely possible. Um, but that's purely. I mean, the case of the uh, in the, the Pinot Winery. I just can't remember the name. But in that case, that was pure brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the brewery, I mean, yeah, there is like, you know, I guess you can just sell the recipe and the brand. Yeah, right. And that's it. Yeah, right. You know? But again, it's just, it's all, yeah. you know, goodwill intellectual property. Right. There's no, you know, what are you taking over? Like, well, uh, and, and you might be referring to this as the example, but um, uh, 
Costa Brown. Uh, that wasn't the one that I was thinking about, but they, that is, I mean, they sold out for 38 or $40 million. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, that was an interesting, the reason I bring that up is because they're, they did, on the front end, they did an amazing job from a branding perspective. They, you know, the, the product is good to great, um, but they did an amazing job, even better job around building a brand and creating some aura of uh, exclusivity around that brand, right? And they right. did a really, they were very, very rigid around where they sold through that wine, how much of it they let out to the public. Um, they kind of created this aura of um, like, you know, everything was limited edition, right? And so they built right. this kind of following around um, you know, getting the on the allocation list and people waiting two years to get right. their first allocation, right? And it was it was entirely. I mean, to a degree, it still is. I don't think they have vineyards, but they have contracts, right? Um, if they didn't want to produce more wine, right, they would simply not produce more wine. Exactly. And, and there was no tasting. You couldn't go right. to a tasting even if you were a member, right. a buying member. There was no tasting room to right. go to. And you couldn't go to some nice fancy place and like sit down and try their wine. It was just. It was the original. We are two guys right. who are crazy about Pinot. And yeah. We're gonna make it in our garage. And right. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Have you heard of the new, the newest one, which is going to be the next Scarecrow or Screaming Eagle? Hmm. Um, it's called MacDonald. Okay. Um, it's two brothers. They're probably in their early thirties, late twenties, uh -huh. and they inherited. Um, or something, uh, their grandfathers or their ancestors. I'm kind of butchering a little sure. bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they had a, a vineyard in Oakville. Okay. In a Tokalon vineyard that was like it was farmed by Robert Mondavi, and he oh, bought wow. he bought all their grapes for one of his reserve wines or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when Mondavi was sold, they ended up. They didn't want to use that vineyard anymore, and something happened. They were going to pull it out because the vines are very old, and these guys were like, "No way!" So they moved back to the valley and they took over the field, and and it's like all these naughty old vine cabernet right. in, in Tokalon, uh -huh. and um, they make like 300, 350 cases a year. Yeah, and it's like is an overnight, you know, cult wine. Wow, you know, you buy it for release price is like a buck fifty. And already there's like a whole cult following of like 500, 600 a bottle. Wow. Because the wine's now, supposed now to Now, did be, the wine get rated? It got some good ratings, okay. for sure. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, you know, no one would pay attention. Yeah. Except for this, like, story and someone dropped it on a forum one time. And uh, yeah. So now it's like they're, yeah. just, they're just printing gold. Right. And they happen to be, like, really nice, authentic people, too. Like, you'll get, like, a personal note. After oh, order. cool. Yeah. Like, so hey, you know, we, we noticed that you placed your order. Really appreciate it. Very you cool. Know, like, you know, yeah. Like, hope you're doing well. So those little know. touches go a long way. Yeah. And it's amazing. The website is super, super basic. Uh-huh. Um, which is, like, really interesting. It, I mean, again, just falls Shocking. in line with They sell the, one product. <laughs> That's great. You know, I mean, the margin on that one product is probably I mean, listen, astronomical. You know, the 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 property value of their vineyard is probably in the millions. Yeah, right. It's not a big vineyard. Yeah, um, it's probably a couple of acres. I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, I'm sure it's well into the millions. Yeah, um, but the, their story is of uncompromising 
on a family tradition, family obligation, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to let um, you know any sort of a occurrence happen to their old vines vineyard that their grandparents sure. were farming. Yeah. And then you're reading that, and you're like, oh man. You know, like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get my hands on you know, like stuff. I gotta yeah. buy this, right? Yeah, you totally. Know? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, the secret sauce is is just that, but that takes a lot of discipline. It does. And know? going back to the Costa Brown example, that model started to cause them problems down the road, right? So they ended up at some point having to take on VC money and private equity money. And that just started to muddy the waters. And now, and so they just got acquired by uh, Duckhorn, I believe it was, that that bought the brand. I don't remember who bought it. Yeah, so they, in the past couple of years, had finally started to buy up some vineyards. I think up in Anderson Valley, they had a couple of vineyards. Yeah. And they were starting down the path of like, kind of opening up that door, right? To kind of letting people in. And they have a nice, beautiful new operation and tasting room that they recently opened in Sonoma so now you can go into right. the space and right. taste their wine and now they have new labels that are more like consumer friendly not 150 bucks a bottle right, right so the yeah. model although it did it worked really well on the front end of their business for many years it started to kind of work against them at some point right and so Again, it kind of goes back to being very diligent and seeing the changes in the industry yeah, I mean, and you listening only, to your customers. Yeah, for sure. You can only go one direction. Yeah, I mean, right. and, the, and the the best example is Screaming Eagle. I mean, they're not going to make... They actually have made more wine, mm-hmm. but they've also raised the price. Yeah. Um, which hasn't stopped anybody <laughs> from buying it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and again, it's knowing your target consumer, right? right? And understanding that, like, we only want to be attracting a certain type of person who has a certain level of income that right. you know can afford this wine uh, you know but you Harlan know. Harlan raised the price of the same mm. and you know when you go on Facebook or you know these forums mm-hmm. like people are passing on those wines yeah right and say hey you want to buy this at my cost you mm-hmm. know like forget about getting a Screaming Eagle at someone's cost you mm-hmm. know but um, again Har- a Screaming Eagle makes like basically one wine they, yeah. make, they make like a Occasionally, they'll make a second wine from their young fruit or whatever, right? Which also, you know, also sells through. But yeah, it's it's just branding and discipline, right? And I think the discipline is probably harder than the branding. Exactly. You know, yeah. Going back to what I said in the very beginning, like, yeah, I also get sick of looking at stuff, but you know, like, <laughs> if I've got a few extra cases, it's not going to help me to um, sure, you know, throw it in the fire. Well, I, I do like. I also like what you were saying earlier about. It sounds like you're partnering with some wineries to create a new unique product that you're able to go to market right. with. Right. Um, that's interesting. You know, I don't see a whole lot of people doing that or taking that path. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely happens, but um, you know, I think that what I tell people is that you know, my business is just a product of learning the hard way mm-hmm. over and over and yeah, over again. Sure. Um, uh, I just <laughs> glutton for punishment, huh? Yeah, but that's kind of like that's kind of the path that this business is, like yeah. you know. And I was gonna do a separate episode on on um, like contracts and the wine business mm, and how they're mm-hmm. basically like almost meaningless, but um, especially on the import export side. But you know, you just have to 
choose your market yeah. and cho- and and choose your customers because you really choose your customers in the end. Yep. Like your customers might choose you, but you have to really choose them. Yeah, correct. Um, and I feel that all my customers know that I really give them a lot of attention mm-hmm. when they want it. Yeah. And I respect their space when they don't want it. Right. But when it comes to choosing brands, it's also a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just had one guy who was telling me about, you know, you know, how we're partners and we have a relationship, whatever. And then I found out that basically everything he was telling me wasn't true. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, usually the relationships are, you don't have to like, it's like when people tell, when people tell you, um, like, uh, I'm being honest. Yeah. You know, right? It's like, okay, does that mean that everything you said until now, like, <laughs> oh, should wasn't? I, yeah. Should I have been? A, should right. I have been aware? Like, the, <laughs> the, you know, you have to choose the people that you work with. You have to choose the brands right. that you represent. Yep. And I think that it's just the most clear, um, at least for my business, when you know, it's it's there's no question about who's doing what mm-hmm. and what the expectations are. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Trying, I know it's been a personal challenge of mine is, is to express um, clearly and effectively what my expectations and what my capabilities are. Yep. I always like undersell uh-huh. what I think I can do. Right. Um, when it comes to um, producers. Yep. Because I want to over deliver and not like in a cliche way. Like I literally don't want to be stuck with a bunch of wine that of course i paid for and i can't sell (laughs) because like i don't want to i can't suffocate people with a certain product right so i always i always test yeah i always tell people like you know i'm gonna start slow but if it goes well like we'll be in business forever but i'm gonna start slow so how much on the front end of that are you Gaining some understanding of what the demand might be for a particular wine that you're buying up. That's a great question, and and the answer is um, testing. Okay. I mean, it's it's just testing. We, the first time I brought over Bordeaux from this one producer that I've been working with for a long time. I mean, I literally brought. There was a company called Wine Flight, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they would pick up the wine from the winery or the winery would like ship it from France to like some warehouse somewhere mm-hmm. from that warehouse it would get to the airport and be put on a plane okay. to San Francisco Okay. and then from San Francisco they had like UPS it down to me here got it so it would take like a week yeah it was like 150 bucks a case mm. which is not bad for mm. what it was but it's a big bananas yeah it's a lot of money um I did like four cases. Okay. This is in the very beginning of like the high-end kosher Bordeaux. Got it. And then I sold it. Yeah. And then I did 10 cases. And then I did like 10 again. And at that point, I was like, okay, let me do this properly. You know, we did it on a container, Mm -hmm. um, you know, brought over a pallet. Sure. And then after that, I was like, okay, well... I'm getting the feedback from my customers. They like this, but they need more of this. So mm-hmm. then we created more of whatever that was. Okay. And then brought it over. Again, one pallet. Yeah. And then one pallet, you know, there's an opportunity to take more. It became six pallets. Wow. And then after that six pallets, you know, I had a, a mentor at the time. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. He's like, well, 
looks like you just did it you know like you know like yeah i was like i don't know if right. i'm in this i'm like he's like well you know we're standing in the warehouse surrounded by pallets and pallets right. of kosher wine he said i think the answer is like you know so i was like okay i got you you know yeah um and then from there like you know i i thought it would be really cool to bring in kosher champagne because i like champagne sure and i found a producer that i thought was really good a grower yeah champagne the only kosher grower champagne and so i went there I thought it was pretty good wine. And then we just brought like 300 bottles. Right. Just put it on top of something else I was bringing over. Mm -hmm. And then sold it. And then 600 bottles. And then 1,200 bottles. And then magnums and half bottles. Wow. You know, it was just gradual. Yeah. You just test it. And then you, you can, you quantify what is, you know, the worst thing that can happen. Sure. What is the feedback loop that you had with your customers to get that feedback? Was it just calling them? Was it some people you know, like sending them an email or? Well, that's a great question. With people tend to not have a problem to let me know when they don't like something. No, oh, sure, yeah, which yeah. is right. which is yeah. great. And if yeah. you're listening, that's great. Uh, thank you. Um, but um, I. People, I will I just hear through the grapevine. People will post on Facebook. Um, people will contact me. People will email me. And I also just like, you know, if I do a tasting, that's the best way. You know right away. Sure. You look at someone's face and they're oh, grimacing. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, right, and right. Like, you can tell. Like, everyone likes something when they're tasting it right in front of you. Right. But you can tell. You know, I can tell. Because, you know, you, you know when someone's being polite. Yeah. Versus someone's actually. Right. And you can see it. I mean, you know, quite honestly, you can see it. Uh, there I go with honestly. But you can see it like in the orders. Sure. Know? If you come to a tasting and you say you like something, you don't buy it, like, come on. You yeah. Know? That, that's a, it just means that you didn't like it. Yeah. You know, because that's the time when someone would place an order for something. So if you're introducing a new bottle to your customer base, how is that? How are you facilitating that? Are you doing a tasting? Or are you just promoting it via your website um, yeah you, first first wave is the website and okay. the next wave would be um uh, tastings and and uh, some sort of media you know sending it to people that i trust who who'd write about it with their honest opinion mm-hmm. um you know one thing that we're doing which is a little bit crazy is um i had a guy on who makes some um, orange wine oh okay and so he's got a little bit of reputation for that and uh, you know, I tried about five or six of them, and some of them are pretty intense, mm-hmm. and they taste really weird. And there was one, and I mean, it's not a secret. Yeah, you know, like it's it tastes weird. Like, yeah, you know, if wine tastes like pickles, like right. it's just you know, yeah, that's unusual. Um, but there was one that was a little bit more tame and really kind of interesting and contemplative. And so I said, you know what, like, let's let's try it. I know what is the worst case scenario, um, and as you as you do it for longer, your tolerance gets you know. I don't say my tolerance gets bigger for risk, but um, at the same time, like just the the margin of error is not a bigger percentage, but it's just a bigger number because the total number is larger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like one percent of a thousand is smaller than one percent of a hundred thousand. Right. So it's still one percent. Yeah. Right. So you have to look at it like a different way. So, but I, I mean, some things I won't test. Yeah. You know, there's wines from um, certain regions. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name names. But you know, I'm convinced this is not gonna work. Okay. 
and I'm just not going to go there. Yeah. If it's like borderline and there's other stuff in the portfolio that makes sense, then we'll give it a shot. Got it. But some some places and some regions, like it's not happening. Yeah. Like I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, and that's just either it's because of my I'm close-minded, or it's because like I just don't feel that it's going to sell. Yeah. Well, at this point, you I mean you. You've got a good understanding of what your customer base is going to, how they're going to react to specific things. I right? hope so, and I mean, like, if they, if I don't, then I'm doing something wrong. But I really hope that I, I can kind of get what people want, and um, you know, make it work for everybody. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, we'll do this again. Yes. Let's check in, and see how it's going. Let's do it. Yeah, but it was really more awesome. to come. Yeah, for sure. Really appreciate it. You bet. All right, everybody. Hope that was enjoyable for you, interesting, stimulating, give you that insight of what goes on behind the scenes, the more creative and business marketing side of the wine business when we're not tasting and drinking, etc. So please uh, join us on Facebook, Instagram at Kosher Som. Send me an email, Andrew at Kosher S O M M dot com, with any questions, comments, or whatever you've got. Please never be uncomfortable sharing and hope to catch you in the next one. Again, this will be um, part of a series. We'll track this project and some other ones where you can listen to the conversation. Be the fly on the wall and I will serve as the sounding board for people's ideas and give my feedback. And it's a lot of fun for me and I hope it's as uh, helpful for them as it's as fun for me. So anyway, guys, thank you again. Subscribe on Apple, on Google, and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram where you can be part of the Kosher Sommelier community. That's Kosher, S-O-M-M. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.